This is a CBC Podcast. This is Canada Reads, Canada's annual title fight. Hello, I'm Ali Hassan, the host of Canada Reads and the host of this podcast where we introduce you to the contenders in this year's great Canadian book debate. And this year, we're looking for one book to shift your perspective. Which book will that be? These are the five contenders vying for this year's title. Ducks by Kate Beaton. Greenwood by Michael Christie. Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mendel. Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno-Garcia, and the novel Hotline by Dimitri Nasrallah, which is being championed by Bhangra dancer and viral sensation Gurdip Pander. That is the book we're looking at in this episode. Hotline is about Muna Hedad, a young mother who has left behind a civil war in Lebanon and is now living in Montreal with her son Omar. The only work she can find to support the two of them is as a hotline operator at a weight loss center. Here's the trailer. The year 1986. My name, Munahadda. Leaving behind a civil war in Lebanon, I fled with my son, Omar. I lost my family. I lost my husband. I came to Montreal in winter. The weather is cold. Our prospects are cold. We are alone. Omar isn't fitting in at school. I am living paycheck to paycheck. One day I find a job. I'm a hotline operator for a weight loss center. Over the phone, my clients have everything to lose. Yet I have something to offer. I talk, I listen, I hear their secrets. I earn their trust. Montreal is a bit warmer now, as are we. Our story in Canada has just begun. Hotline is Dimitri Nasrallah's fourth novel. And Canada Reads isn't the only accolade this book has gotten since being published last year. It was also longlisted for the 2022 Giller Prize. Dimitri was on the next chapter with columnist Ryan B. Patrick to talk about writing Hotline. Here's part of that conversation. So, hey, Dimitri, and welcome to the next chapter. How's it going? It's going well. Thanks for having me. Congrats on having your novel on Canada Reads. Hotline is obviously your fourth novel. How does it feel to have your work recognized in this way? Oh, uh, I mean, it feels astounding. I've been at this for almost two decades now. I also, uh, I was thinking about this just the other day. I'm I'm kind of the runt of the litter of that generation of Montreal writers that got going around the mid-2000s. It, it was interesting to me that I'm actually still around even, mm. uh, at this point uh, <laughs> during this when so many people kind of start off at the same starting blocks and uh, you know kind of drift off in other directions or maybe take up other routes in life that here I am still writing books and uh, finally Canada Reads shows up at this point. Nice. Yes, you are still writing books and Hotline is your fourth novel set in the 1980s, set in Montreal. It's a story of Muna, a single mother who moves to Montreal from Lebanon with her young son Omar to escape the civil war at that time in Beirut and Lebanon. Uh, what is Muna leaving behind? Well, she's leaving behind a, a rather restrictive 
family dynamic. Uh, she married into a uh, situation that began as love, but soon pulled in larger family interest. Uh, there was always this inequality there between her family and her husband Halim's family. When Halim disappears. The family dynamic that uh, he had managed to keep at bay from her suddenly encroaches on her life. And so she's leaving that behind. So there's an element of relief in that, but there's also a great deal of anger in having to have gone through it in the first place and for the situation it's left her in. Mm. So you are Lebanese Canadian yourself. You fled, uh, your family fled Lebanon in 1982 for Greece. and You eventually ended up in Canada. Uh, so how does this set up parallel your own life? Are there any connections that you're drawing on? Well, I think the the element of, of uh, the transition from one culture to another is pretty paramount in in my work. And that uh, I left Lebanon uh, when I was five years old. So for me, it was a matter of having most of my memory uh, exist elsewhere outside of my origins, yet mm-hmm. knowing that there are these origins that are almost untouchable. So I've always been an outsider. And I've gotten used to that position. And I think Muna finds herself in that position as well, where she becomes very good at orbiting around the culture. And in her case, she ends up giving it advice mm-hmm. as a way to engage with it. And I found that dynamic in my life early on, that I was more comfortable on the margins, to say nothing of the fact that I was marginalized along the way. But uh, I grew comfortable in that space. And I guess by the time I arrived at writing this book, I was beginning to see that, you know, there were benefits to having put myself on the margins. But it it was also limiting in a way, too, that uh, I I deserved, like everyone else, to to kind of be the center of my own narrative. Mm. So I wanted to put Mona through that journey where she finds herself getting closer to her own center through this process of transition and immigration. Speaking of culture and culture shock, uh, moving from Lebanon to Quebec is a culture shock in many respects. The the weather is cold. The people Mm -hmm. seem colder, at least from her immigrant perspective. Can you describe what Montreal was like, particularly in the 1980s, mid, late 1980s for Mona at at that time? Well, when uh, my family arrived in Montreal, and uh, by extension, uh, this is how Mona ends up seeing it in Hotline as well, Montreal was really two cities in Mm. one. Uh, There was the old city, which was built in the 19th and 20th century on the ground level, and then they they were in the process of building this new underground city in the downtown core, what's generally known as the Golden Square Mile here. I'd never seen anything like that, a city <laughs> under another city. It was fascinating that this dynamic was, was underway, especially given the weather and how people could just escape the cold by going to this, this lower level. But it also spoke to how there were layers to everything here and that not everything was, was visible from the surface. And so I found, personally, Montreal to be a difficult place to, to decipher. And, you know, my, my first impressions or interactions with the city came through TV because I was in a, a welcome class at a French school, which means uh, you're there pretty much in this classroom to learn French and you you don't really get to interact with the rest of the school. So it was a pretty ostracizing situation educationally. Mm-hmm. So I watched Music Plus, which is like the French <laughs> version of uh, much music. Right. And I fell in love with music at the time. And I went on to have a you know a, an early career as a music journalist and a DJ later on. 
the only other thing that was interacting us with the culture was this work that my mom ultimately ended up getting at Nutrisystem, mm-hmm. which is the equivalent of Nutri4 in the book. And she would bring home these yellow food boxes that we would sometimes get in our school lunches. And it seemed so novel to me, this idea that there were these companies that existed to help people organize their weight loss regimens, which coming from from the Mediterranean, from from Greece and from Lebanon, it was not, not something I'd ever encountered before. So it just seemed like things were very technologically advanced and there were just a a lot of different variables underway just uh, underscored how different life was going to be. Right. I'm fascinated with the Nutrifor kind of uh, environment. So Muna takes a job there at Nutrifort. She builds a roster of clients and and all of whom are unhappy with their body issues or their lot in life. What, What types of calls is she fielding at the time with these clients? Well, she's fielding calls from uh, from people who whose lives have, under their own definitions, kind of gone off to the side, off track. They've become, like most adults, burdened by stresses that uh, have ingrained themselves uh, in their existence. And she realizes that even though as an immigrant, a newly arrived immigrant, that she's feeling uh, ignored by the culture, that in a largely individualistic environment, a lot of people feel as though they don't get the attention they want or maybe Mm. they deserve, and that this happens on a larger level from the overall culture, but it also happens in people's homes, in people's personal spaces. And that becomes the point at which she can uh, really engage with people because the the isolation and that sense of loneliness is is something she understands right she feels their burden so that becomes the first building block towards new relations in in this new culture that's what i found fascinating as, as an immigrant or the immigrant experience you're trying to attain uh what people living in the country already technically quote unquote, already have, but then these people are already living lives of isolation and frustration. So there's a, this weird disconnect when you're trying to be where they are, but they are not appreciating that, that, that status level that they're at. So that's, that's why I found that dynamic really interesting with this novel. Like these clients are really candid with Muna through their confessions, but how is she able to be so compassionate and attentive to these clients when she herself is going through so much in terms of isolation, well, uncertainty and what have you? I think in this was the the beauty of the 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 hotline mm-hmm. uh, for me in that it offers Muna this roundabout way to escape discrimination in that these people don't see her and she doesn't see them. So without that physical impression, there's a lot of ideas that just don't register. Right. And so the conversation between them is allowed to flow more naturally, they assume she's much closer to them than she herself would place herself or they would place her if they knew who she was. So this barrier falls and this permission is allowed to come through in terms of what people say and this closeness ends up developing. So I wanted to put these two dynamics almost at the same level. There is the xenophobia that Muna is facing and then the fatphobia that the clients are facing. And in, in a lot of ways, they are both these illnesses that come from this, this, this vision of the body, in right. a way, uh, right. what we see. I was reading James Baldwin the other day in uh, Notes of a Native Son. In there, he writes that he began to view 
hatred is an illness. And that was very interesting to me that hatred is not only something we learn, but something that we hold on to mm. ourselves and that feeds into our worldview and becomes an illness because really no good can come of it. And so in terms of the xenophobia and the, the fatphobia that are intersecting via this hotline, you have this sense of these two illnesses coming together. And because we're able to take away the visual element, they begin to find the cure together. So we've been going back and forth in terms of the protagonist saying Muna and Mona. So Muna is her given name coming from Lebanon. When yes. she arrives in Canada, she's known as Mona, which is kind of the accessible persona that she adopts. And she also speaks Arabic. And, and the novel includes Arabic words in her speech without paraphrasing or describing what these words means, mean in English. How intentional was this choice to use language in this way? very intentional. We had a lot of conversations about how we were going to present the Arabic mm. uh, on an editorial level. And it it was uh, quite clear to me that I wanted it to flow as part of her voice. This is uh, as soon as I took on this character, uh, Muna, from the first person and uh, began to write her with this Lebanese cadence. And I began to hear elements of my own mother's voice coming through that and other Lebanese women I knew who went through similar experiences of that generation. There was no way to not have those Arabic inflections in there. Right. Arabic is a very colorful language. People usually use it in a very uh, illustrative way. It's a storyteller's language. And there is this entire aspect to the language where you use these words, the yarabbiz, ya'allah, mastool, uh, all, uh, all these words that kind of repeat in everyday expressions that give you a sense of a person. So you don't even really need to know what they mean, but the repetition builds over time and you get a sense not only of the personality, but how they're being used in a given context. So right. I wanted that dynamic to build through and not to exotify these terms and create a hierarchy between the cultures by italicizing the words or, or spelling them out for people, as you see happen in a lot of books. On an editorial level, we talk about, you know, decolonizing the editorial process mm -hmm. a lot lately. And this seemed like a perfect way we could do that, to balance out the languages and put them both on the same level without having to really highlight one as being different from the other and make them both part of the same persona. So it was a purposeful move to do this. And uh, in the end, a lot of people have noticed it and have had things to say about it. Mm. You know, it speaks a lot to that whole code switching type of thing that a lot of immigrant people have to go through in terms of uh, trying to quote unquote fit in to quote unquote normal society in terms of how they navigate the world and how people perceive them. So I found that really interesting in terms of how you kind of construct and frame that dynamic there. So let's talk about her son, Omar. He's having issues of his own. He's a young boy. He's come to Canada. He's having trouble fitting in to his new life, his new school. What is Omar going through and what is the mother and son dynamic at that time? Well, Omar is going through this transition in cultures much like uh, Mune is, but I know from my own child experiences of having moved around a similar age, you have no control mm. over what's happening to you. And so you're kind of just along for the ride. What happened in my case and what happens in Omar's case uh, in this situation is that you land in a place where no one's given you a manual as to how things are uh, at all. So there, it's a complete mystery how you're supposed to operate or how anyone uh, maneuvers in this new culture. Almost immediately, your parents have to start working really hard. And so you don't see them as much. 
because they're pretty preoccupied with the, the, the basics of survival and of establishing a new life. And so you end up having to navigate this school situation and this new home life on your own where you're you're pretty alone hmm. a lot of the time. And that's what I remember from those years is just I was left uh, with the TV and having to navigate how to get to, to school and back. And then eventually my father had to end up working like an evening shift uh, because he, he couldn't get a day shift at the work he was at. So I rarely saw him on weekdays. He was hmm. gone from 4 p.m. till midnight. And uh, my mom ended up working on a master's degree to bolster her education experience. So she was gone most evenings as well. So it, it was a world where parents just weren't around right. that much. And so you end up feeling ignored. And then when they are around, they, they don't have as much patience for you because they're tired. They're just trying to keep things afloat. And so whatever needs you have uh, or you don't even know you, need, you have, uh, really aren't a concern to anyone. And so you just figure out stuff on your own or you kind of just bury things. Mm. So Hotline is a lot about connection. It's about love in many forms. It's about relationships, relationship dynamics. But I find it, it's a love letter of sorts to resilience, to the immigrant experience and to life in Montreal at that time. What were you hoping for this novel when you were writing it? My books have always been... Uh, had a negative aspect to them, I felt, uh, or uh, an element of cynicism that pervaded them that came from this guardedness, having gone through tough times and having just uh, developed a thick skin, you know, just keeping myself protected. And then the pandemic comes along. And all of a sudden, I'm uh, looking at a first draft of this book that hasn't really jumped to life. And we're locked in. And I realized that really... Intimacy is, a, is at a premium everywhere now. Mm -hmm. Now that we can no longer have connections with other people in the ordinary way that we've gotten used to, everyone feels uh, the need to connect. And I thought, well, if I can capture that in a book, if I can convey that intimacy that I know I feel in this moment and that everyone else yearns for uh, at this time, I think I might have something there. And I took a chance knowing that Really, in my 40s, I had nothing left to lose. I don't have to prove myself to myself anymore right. or to anyone else, for that matter. I've gotten, I guess, comfortable in my own skin, almost too comfortable in my own skin. And I kind of wanted to shake things up and see, you know, how else life could be. And uh, being intimate like that on the page ended up being the key for me. Nice. So here's to shaking things up and uh, reaching out and connecting and talking about this novel. I kind of feel like we all need to do that every once in a while. <laughs> indeed, indeed. <laughs> Great to connect, Dimitri. I appreciate your time. Thank you. That was Hotline author Dimitri Nasrallah talking to Ryan B. Patrick on the next chapter. Championing Hotline is a viral sensation who has danced his way into hearts all over the world. Right and left, left, right, right. Now, hoo -hoo. now you know one program move. Let's dance to the music now. Are you ready? Championing Hotline is Gurdeep Pander. Gurdeep is a Bhangra dancer, artist, and educator who currently lives in an off-grid cabin in Yukon. He's known for creating joyful videos of himself dancing in unusual locations, such as in nature and in the winter cold and on the CN Tower. Gurdeep was on commotion with Elamine Abdul Mahmoud to talk about why he chose Hotline for Canada Reads. 
You and I know Gurdip for making viral videos of himself dancing Bhangra in the Yukon where he lives. And there's something so infectious about his energy that's just so exciting. Gurdip, I'm going to talk to you in just a minute. But first, I want people to hear Rachel Maddow, the American broadcaster, talking about what Gurdip is. His social media presence is all about the over-the-top joy he takes in teaching other Canadians, Canadians born and bred, immigrant Canadians from all over, everyone. He teaches Bhangra dancing. This is his thing. Here he is on a Navy warship teaching Canadian Navy sailors. Everybody can Bhangra dance. Everybody can do it. I love this guy. American News host Rachel Maddow talking about Gurdip Pandare, who's here with me now. Gurdip, what's going on, man? Hello, Alameem. Very nice to meet you. Likewise. Uh, I'm, I'm, doing... I'm so happy that you're here. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me. I was so looking forward to it. Uh, let me start by asking you, okay, you learned to bunger dance from your family as a kid, and then now uh, you make all these videos and they spread all over the place. What does your family think of these videos? Uh, most of my family is not on social media, but uh, sometimes they see me on TV or, or their neighbors or friends, they tell them. Um, they find it very interesting because uh, as a childhood, they never envisioned me doing something like that uh, in, on such a big uh, this has become my my lifestyle, my yeah. everyday life now. Uh, this surprises me sometimes uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, by, by seeing their actions. But but overall, they are very happy. Well, it makes me really happy that it makes you happy and it makes them happy. Let's talk about the book. So you picked Hotline by Dimitri Nasrallah. Let's talk about the book. Why? What's why should people be excited about this book? So. Um, Yes, I picked Hotline by Dimitri Nasrila. And you know that I promote joy, hope, and positivity through my Pangra dance video in the wilderness of the Yukon. That's one great way to promote hope and love and joy. <laughs> but, I also, <laughs> but I also believe that there's another way to promote uh, positivity and joy. That is by creating understanding and learning about each other, especially learning about uh, about people who belong to other communities, who yeah. come come from different different backgrounds. Uh, so uh, when we learn about other people, that creates joy because that creates peace, that creates harmony, and it makes uh, all sides happy. So overall, my overall goal is to promote joy, hope, and positivity, but in a very different way, in a very meaningful way, and that that joy will be fulfilling for everyone. Once we learn about everyone, uh, then we realize that that actually there's no difference between other people and my people, yeah. my fears, my smiles, and other people's smiles and other people's fears. They are same. Actually, we belong yeah. to one humanity. Gurdip, you spread positivity everywhere. It's going to be tough for you, I think, to compete in Canada Reads, but I'm excited to see the kind of, uh, kind of approach that you take. Thank you so much for joining us on Commotion today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Alameem, for having me. I wish you a wonderful day. Thank you. That was Gurdip Pandare talking to Elamin Abdul Mahmoud on Commotion about the book he is championing on Canada Reads Hotline by Dimitri Nasrallah. He's one of five panelists participating in this year's debates. You can learn more about them and their chosen books in other episodes of this podcast. But before we wrap up this one, let's hear from Gurdip one last time. Here is his one-minute pitch 
for Hotline. Hotline is an honest portrayal of the innermost struggles of an immigrant family. Mona and her child immigrated to Montreal after fleeing the civil war in Lebanon. She faces many barriers in providing basic necessities such as food, money, and shelter. Despite being fluent in French, she can't get a job as a French teacher. She is denied many apartments. Her son's school teacher is judgmental. Despite a vulnerable past and present, she, while working as a hotline operator, through her voice, she brings hope to the people of Quebec and Canada. The author has captured the immigration experience, the disorientation, the exclusion, racism, loneliness, and struggle of a single parent navigating a new environment. The book explores what it takes to come to Canada, both overt and covert racism, and how many doors are closed to newcomers. But the beautiful thing is that there's also hope in the book. That was Gurdeep Pandey making a case for why Hotline by Dimitri Nasrallah is the one book all of Canada should read. Canada Reads takes place March 27th to the 30th. You can find out more about this year's contenders at cbcbooks.ca. I'm Ali Hassan. This is the Canada Reads pre-show podcast. Until next time, read on, Canada. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.